to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. Everybody and welcome to the Cocoa Express Show Network. I am so excited. I'm excited because we have um, a really special show today. I have to tell you, it is Saturday, uh, February 24th, so mark this day on your calendar, everyone. And we're going to have two amazing people today. Um, the first one is going to be Valencia Lyle Saunders. Yes, she came back. She she came back. Um, she's just doing this show today, which I'm so grateful and so honored to have her back. I miss her so much, but I'm glad to have her back. And she's going to be interviewing Matthew Knowles, and they're going to be discussing his new book about racism and his um, perspectives on racism from his um, experiences uh, growing up in the South. So I would love to talk to you some more, but I just want to be able to have some conversation with Valencia Law Saunders before she interviews the amazing guests we have. So we have two amazing things happening today. So everyone sit back, listen, and enjoy. Hey. Hey. How are you? Welcome back. Hey, Welcome back. Hey, listening family. Hey, family. Oh, hey. How y'all doing? Yeah. We are glad to have you back. Now, I'm going to step aside, and I'm just going to let you talk about, you know, what's good with you, and, you know, if you need anything, I'm here for you. Oh, what's good with me? Oh, let's see. Well, of course, the time that I come back, I get a cold. <laughs> so I apologize for how this may sound, but, you know, it's all good in the hood, right? Well, um. I've been away for a while, a little health issue episode happening, and, you know, we've been working on that, and um, I'm feeling good. So that's all I'm going to say on that friend. But how y'all been? What y'all been doing? So there's been a lot happening in the universe these days, you know? And I know on everybody's mind and heart is Black Panther. Oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing that's happened to us in a long, long time. Came in the disguise as entertainment. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's not only captured the black community. It's captured, like, anyone who went to see it, Europeans, Asians, um, you know, back in, on the continent, in the motherland, they're like, yes. And what I love about this is, like, we all have this sense of, yeah, that's what has always been tucked away inside of us the whole time. We were just waiting for somebody to to make it visual, make it real, make it manifest, make it 3D. I saw it in 3D. Did you? Anyway, pretty amazing. Well, before I get too off the track, um, yeah, Aurelia called me and asked me that I want to do this interview with Matthew Knowles. We've done two prior. And it's always been um, an interesting talk. And what I like about the interview 
um, conversation that you can have sometimes is you step into uh, the moment thinking one thing, thinking that you're going to go down a, a road and ask these questions. And then sometimes you find yourself elsewhere. You're still kind of on topic, but the interview and what's important is is in another location. So that's always interesting to me. But at the same time, doing the interview has to be open to where this is going to go. And, um, you know, sometimes I see other interviews. And I know sometimes you just have a, a finite amount of time to do this and get the information that you want out. But if you have the luxury of having a real conversation where someone's listening and someone's talking, not at the same time, that's what we call conversation, um, you really can explore some really important issues or you can get at some really important truths that um, we're kind of hiding in plain sight. So um, in my interviews with him, going in one place, but we ended up elsewhere. So I'm going to see where this goes. Um, because I think we're at an interesting time where so much is happening. And, you know, racism is definitely a a big topic and issue. It always has been. But for some, well, because we're in the Donald Trump era, we are finding ourselves really struggling with this. Um, So kind of systemic issue has been around for ever. And how do we how do we how do we kind of heal ourselves? That's been the biggest problem, you know, healing ourselves. But the one thing that I if you look back historically and then you go forward, every generation it's their job to be better or have better or experience better or to heal better than the last one. So here we are in 2018, and we find ourselves, again, struggling with this issue that seems to, you know, get tranquil and then, it explodes again. It's like a volcano. It rests, and you don't know when that's going to happen. Volcanoes going to say, you know what? In two weeks, I'm about to erupt. So y'all need to get to wherever you need to get to. Nope, that's not how it works. Um, yeah. So Matthew Knowles has written this book, Racism from the Eyes of a Child, and you know, yeah, I want to. I really want to talk to him about that because what we see as children and what we're told as children sometimes forms how we perceive the world as grown-ups. You know, what's poured into a child is what you get as a grown-up and you kind of live your life. Only him, it's been probably all of us have, have experienced this scenario in one way or another. So, um, It'll be interesting to see 
you know, I've I've had the privilege of doing some reading. Um, but I'd like to talk to him and have y'all hear what he has to say. Do we have a Matthew Knowles on the line yet? No, I'm waiting. I've been in contact with Angelo. He's working on it. Great. So we'll just keep talking. So, um, so I know what I want to talk about. Um, Aurelia has been working on a pretty amazing project. I'm talking about you. I'm talking behind your back. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) She's been working on a pretty amazing project. And it is something that our mom was very, very adamant about, etiquette, how you act when you're in the street <laughs> and how you act when you're in somebody else's home. She did not play. So she, you know, it was important for not just her but for us when we went out somewhere we ate like we had we not, not like we had shovels. You know, you don't shovel stuff in your mouth. You don't gobble up your food. Um, when you answer the phone, you don't say "What's up?" or "Uh huh." We had to say, "Lyle's residence." Hello, Lyle's residence. And someone would say, "Oh, can I speak to?" And you say, "Yeah." It was none of this like, "Yo, what's up?" Who this? No. And so um, I'm grateful for that because it gives you, and I know um, people probably have a lot of different feelings about this, but I felt like it gave me a place to, you know, to know what my boundaries are, you know, and to know for myself and for other people. So what she's doing, let me get back to her. What she's doing is taking this principle of etiquette and bringing it to the community. And it's for young girls and young boys to learn how to do some basic things that are really important, like how to set a table, what a table setting looks like, what forks and knives to use. Um, And she's brought in some really great speakers to come to these etiquette classes. And they're teaching these kids and showing them lots of things, like the last one she had, Steve Duncanson, who was also um, had a show on the Cocoa Express, he came and talked to them about public speaking. And for those of you who've never heard him speak, he has this very commanding, deep man voice. And, um, you know, he's pretty mesmerizing when you hear him speak. So I I know the kids were like, wow. And... um, it was to have them have that experience and be of being in front of someone and talking, getting your point across, being understood. And I think that's so important. And now, you know, with this Florida shooting, we're seeing some really articulate kids say what they mean, mean what they say, and say it in a way that the adults can't fluff it off. And that's really important. And I think it's really important for black and Latino kids in the community to have this command of um, language and of themselves. Um, we're in a time where, you know, this is, a, this is a strange but interesting time. A lot of things are happening, and it depends on your perspective as to how you take it. But um, not only have the kids really enjoyed it, 
I think the adults, too, have enjoyed, you know, passing on what they know, getting involved with young people, showing them something different from what is out there. And um, I was talking to Aurelia, and she was talking about the first um, one she did. And she was so surprised that before she can get to saying anything about a knife and and a fork, she had to meet these kids where they were. And they have they are in some rough spots. And they had to talk about who they were and what they were experiencing before anything else. And I think, you know, that's an important lesson. Meeting people, meeting these kids where they are. Because if you don't, all this other stuff is like talking Greek to them. They don't hear you. They don't understand you because you don't understand them. And Sometimes, you know, we forget, you know, maybe some of us have not had the experience they're having, but they're having an experience. And if you don't know what that is, then you can't relate to them. You can't give them the thing you want to give them. So um, she has found this very satisfying, but hard. It's hard to put together these things. And so she's had some wonderful people sponsor girls and boys and um it's $25. That's all. $25 to sponsor a kid to attend this etiquette program. It's an investment that's going to give rewards far, far, far down the road. You know, trying to teach kids how to speak to someone when they meet them. You look them in the eye, you shake their hand, and you say hello. You know, it's, you, we think it's like, no brainer. But gosh, if you don't have that experience and nobody tells you or teaches you, you just don't have it. You can't know what you don't know, and you can't do what you don't know how to do. That's kind of it. You know, it doesn't matter if you're real poor, real whatever, real crazy, real smart. You can't do what you don't know how to do, and you can't know what you don't know. So um, at the end of this show, I'm going to let Aurelia give you some information if you want to sponsor a kid in this etiquette program because it's really important, and it's not a huge investment in a human life, in a human being. And I think, you know, pay off down the road because this kid might invest in someone else or invest in a good decision. You know, instead of making a bad decision, they might make a better choice for themselves. And, you know, it's so weird to think that that came from going to an etiquette class. I've, you know, I've heard from other people who have done programs for kids, and they come in and they make this big, you know, production of this day. This day is amazing. And I really, this was from someone who was, a, you know, a football player, and he put together these big clinic, sports clinics, and he bought in lots of celebrities and and athletes, and, you know, they they do all kinds of things. But there was one kid that really stuck out to him, and it was a kid who, over, he just had this energy that was angry, and he was like, what's going on with this kid? Everybody had left. The, the cleaning people were cleaning up, and the kid wasn't a little kid. He was a big, he was like 
He's like, if this kid knocks me down, I'm down. And he's a big old football player. He's a big man. <laughs> but the kid, he's like, hey, what's up? Did you enjoy the day? And the kid was like, what? What am I going to do now? And he was like, what? He was like, what am I going to do now? This has been the best day of my whole life. Now what am I going to do? And we don't think about that. We put on a polling show for kids, and we leave them. We leave the community. We leave to go do our thing. And these kids, what's the follow-up? What's the prescription for their next steps? And not everybody has the wherewithal to pursue something independent on their own or has a family who was like, who will be like, you know, you had a good time. Well, we're going to try and help you do this. And he realized that he was only addressing half the problem and not the whole problem. And he did this because someone took him in and said, this is what you're going to do. It was his father. He was like, you're going to do this. And I don't hear him, don't, come, don't cry, don't say you want to come home. It's for your own good. So that being said, he decided to, to give this kid his information and say, call me, I'm going to help you. And I think Aurelia's program is great in that it's ongoing, giving um, kids something to think about when they're not in the program, at the program. You know, it's something that, you know, they'll look at and say, oh, you know what? The fork is supposed to be over there. They don't even know how to do this. Or it's just like, let me set the table, Grandma. I got it. Or Mom, I got it. It's the simplest thing, but it means a lot. So I just want you all to consider investing in um, this program and investing in these kids. I know it's something she wants to do on a larger scale, but right now she's doing it in Delaware in her community. And uh, we invest, maybe this spreads. I know, you know, people are doing it, but everybody's not doing it the same. So I'm finished talking behind your back. <laughs> okay. But can I just share one thing? It was one experience that we had. Um, after we do our workshops, we give the kids the opportunity to be able to win prizes because we have kind of little things that we like to give them, incentives. And we gave away Fandango gift cards. And um, after it was over, one of the kids came over to me. He goes, excuse me. I said, yes. He goes, "Um, what's a Fandango gift card? I was like, I said, it allows you to be able to go to the movies. And you don't have to worry about going. The card has enough money on it for you to go to the movies. He goes, oh, okay. And that struck me because, you know, these kids – have limited exposure to a lot of things and we don't realize it. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't even know what a gift, you know, he didn't have the experience of, of having a gift card and having it in his possession. So that's what I wanted to share. And the, that's one of the few things that I've experienced. I've also experienced the one uh, with the fine dining. Um, the, a lot of these young folks didn't have clothing for dressing for dinner and they had to go out. The um, Their program director had to go out and buy them attire so that they could dress for dinner. And you should see the pride that they exhibited when putting on their ties. They were helping each other tie their ties. The girls were giggling at their shoes. One young lady came in. She didn't have shoes on. She had her sneakers on, and she came to me, and she apologized. I'm so sorry I don't have my shoes on, but we were running late, and I couldn't find them, so I just threw my sneakers on. And she, But she was dressed up nicely. She just had sneakers on. So 
we don't realize or understand exactly what it is that these kids are experiencing until we're in the middle of it with them. And, you know, it, it just blows my mind sometimes and I have to go home and just really think after each, each workshop of what I just experienced because, believe you me, it humbles me each and every time. So I'm going to go back and let you finish talking about me behind my back. Okay. I'm going to go back and talk about her behind her back again. <laughs> so I just want to say I'm very proud of you. I think you do um, this is an amazing thing you're doing and that, you know, it's hard to step up. You know, people work hard. They don't have time. They have families, you know. But for somebody to say, I want to help, and, you know, it's not always dropping $5 million or $500,000 or what, you know. It's dropping $25, you know, um, to to help out. And um, pride, you know. How much that feels so good to be proud of yourself and to be in a situation where you're like, yo, I got on a tie. Yo, let me help you. And girls are like, ooh, girl, those are nice. You know, that must feel so good. I, I, you know, I know back in my life when, when I got a new pair of shoes, when I was little, I was sleeping in suckers because <laughs> I would fall in love with a pair of shoes. And you just feel so proud of yourself. You got something new and swanky, and that's a good feeling. And um, my mother, our mother, she um, is from the South, South Carolina, a little town, Palmieri, and they would get dressed up for occasions. They would, you know, cook like you could not believe. Cooking was a religion to them. Them women could cook, let me tell you. But at the same time, they would, you know, when those occasions came, they would be dressed up in beautiful dresses and and know how to set a table, know how well, to make the dress. Forget about I, set the table. Is I, I, I no, Angelo's going to be joining us. Uh, we're still trying to locate Mr. Knowles. We have no clue where he is. Well, so, you know, Angel- I love me some Angelo Ellerby, and I would love for him to join. Okay, he's going to be dialing in shortly. As soon as he's in, I'm going to bring him on because you can, y'all can talk away, okay? Okay. So okay. anyway, um, like I was saying, these were this is where, you know, she made sure that we had this experience of knowing how to behave. You know, because, yeah, you're in front of people, and if you're going to be in different settings, then you know how, you need to know how to behave in those settings. It doesn't mean you have to be a different person. You can't be yourself, but you need to know, you know, what dance this is and what the steps are is what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, and I, and I think this speaks to, Yet again, Black Panther. <laughs> because to something they probably could not have dreamed of. And as an adult, me as well. And um, it's, it's like when you see that you can dream bigger, and that's an amazing thing. 
um, Aurelia and I were talking, and I was like, one of the things that I got from I found out what the issue is. All circuits are busy, so there is a problem with blog talk. So I'm going to dial direct to Angelo, and we're going to fix it that way because me and blog talk don't have any issues. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Just keep going. Okay. Um, One of the amazing things I I got from this is when um, Lapita was speaking Korean, and not just shabby Korean, but Korean Korean. And... um, our kids need to learn languages, not just English. Any language that appeals to you and be multilingual. Be able to be in different scenarios and situations. This is just a quick um, experience I had. I was at a diner. Um, diner happened to be crowded. And I met a gentleman, and he said, I was crowded. I was like, sure. So we had Hello. 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 Hi. Angela. Hi. Yes, it is. This is Valencia. This is whom? Valencia. You lied, Angela. Okay, because I'm calling on the other line and no one's picking up, and I'm afraid if you call on this cell number, it's going to cut off in the middle of my conversation. That's why I called on the landline. Okay, I'm going to put you on um, the the. Uh, oh, just hold on. Should we continue, folks? You want to hear my story? Anyway, you know, then he's getting his, and we just started to chat. And in our little chat, this is why sometimes conversations are amazing things. I learned that this guy, black man, spoke fluent Chinese and had been doing business in China for a long time. And now he was segueing into doing business in China and Africa. And um, he was on Wall Street for many, many years. And for some reason, that showered for him. He he was looking for something more different. And so you learn Chinese. He's like, yep. And um, he owned a couple of nightclubs in China. And so um, this is... This is the experience our kids, all of us need to have. I need to learn another language. I know a little bit of every, of a few things, but nothing that's going to get me anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's going to get you somewhere. It's gotten you this far. <laughs> it's okay to have one language. It's just good to understand and have a feel of the next person's language. It is good to yeah. study and have other languages, but the control of your language and the diction and the speech and the delivery becomes a way of life for those who are existing mm-hmm. in this in this U.S. of A. That's right. I do and, agree with you. And you know what? When I do, when I have traveled, one thing that I have learned is like. Don't be the American who only wants to speak English. Learn a few phrases and try. <laughs> That'll be yeah, that's very true. Better. The very, very true. Mhm. Because people were so nice to me when I was, I was like, I'm sorry, my French is bad, but I tried. They're like, No, I speak English. It's okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. You, you, English is good, but it's also good to learn, if not just the culture, Learn, try to learn the culture, if not learn the language, Absolutely. the people and what people are about. Absolutely. 
Um, because you can make some really big mistakes being American if you don't know an insult, which makes you look awful, which could get you in jail, <laughs> which could do a lot of, you know, more harm than good sometimes. So it is good to have some feel for, like you said, the culture and what's appropriate and what, what's not appropriate. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. I agree with you on that. Yeah. So this conversation is really dealing with etiquette, huh? You know what? It started, it's been a lot of places since you got on the show. Okay. <laughs> but here we are at etiquette. It was, it's kind of Black Panther etiquette meets, you know, whatever else it comes up. But I was just saying, watching Black Panther, I realized that language is something our kids should really, oh, we should invest in for our kids. We should invest in. We should invest in. We should invest in our culture. It is a wonderful thing to have something that's that we can relate to. That our young Mm -hmm. seven and eight, nine and ten year old and fifty. That every genre can relate to this particular movie because Mm -hmm. it's about us. We see us. We can immunate that. It says we are great. We can aspire to be greater, and then we can aspire to be the greatest. And that's the wonderful thing about this movie, that it Mm -hmm. is for us. We are accepting us. We're loving us and our culture and all the things that come along with us. It is the most moving, uh, informative uh, movie that I've seen to date. Yeah. And you know what's also... um, so huge for me What's that? is that what if we were never colonized? What would the potential be for Africa, African Americans, if we were never colonized? How would we articulate who we are, who we want to be, and where we're going? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was like the most amazing that waterfall scene, the warrior falls. When yes. that when that scene came up, I got choked up. I'm like, oh no, I feel verklempt. <laughs> I'm feeling it's something about amazing, it. amazing. <laughs> and you know, that's why I say it's so important that we learn our culture. Culture, mm-hmm. and it's also very important that we learn all other cultures, that we can diversify and have an appreciation for where we come from, and understand mm-hmm. uh, understanding our great, the greatest soil, our soil, that African soil, that Mother Earth. So we can go into the Jewish communities, and we can go into all these other communities, and have and have a appreciation, and have an appreciation for who we are and where we come from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm on with him now. I'm going to call you right back, Mr. Knowles. Good. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And and on so many levels, it it and I think it's not an accident. It's very. It seems very deliberate that there's so many levels that not just black people, African Americans can relate to, but anybody can relate to. But it is it is especially poignant. To us. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if they would have taught this back in the 50s and the 60s, an appreciation for our culture, and had our history repeated the way that the African, the way that white America's history, history has been repeated, that we could yeah. have taught this from our children from its birth, 
Mm-hmm. But it's never too late. So I'm I, I'm I'm just applauding the efforts at this point that someone yeah. came out, a young African American brother came out at 31 years old to produce something of this magnitude, something that can be oh, wow. appreciated by all by, by all God's children. Absolutely, and I told her really. I was like, you know what, um, Ryan Coogler spearheaded this. I'm like, but you know what, the ancestors had a big old hand in that. Oh sure. Oh absolutely. <laughs> because. You know, sometimes you don't know how you get to a thing that you couldn't even have, you know, I couldn't have expected to be as moved or as surprised or mesmerized by this movie. I couldn't imagine. I was just happy that it was Black Panther. But then when I saw it, I was like, holy crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said the same thing. Wow. I said the same thing. Yeah. So, um... I'm just excited to see. I was telling it really earlier today. I was on um, YouTube, <laughs> and there was um, a, a little boy having a conversation with his mom, mm-hmm. and they had seen Black Panther. So he says, "Mom, how come I'm not black?" And she was like, "What?" And he was upset, and she was like, "I don't understand. Daddy's black." He's like, no, but I'm not black. And she's like, well, you're half Mexican, you're half Filipino, and half black. And so he's a little, he's a little boy. He's like, well, how much is half? And she said, fifty percent. He burst into tears. He's like, I want to be a hundred percent. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I know because he's it's wonderful to be proud of your blackness because yeah. there was a day and a time that we had to run from our blackness. Absolutely. Or, make, or apologize yeah. for it. Yeah, and we had to apologize for it. And here's a child who who just, you know, is overcome by the power of being black, and he's upset that he's only half black. Yeah, and that I know. half is not prominent enough for him. He's like, I want to be 100%. I want to look like my superhero. I want to look like the people in the movie because they're amazing. I was like, oh, sweetie. That's you, you know, he, he is 100%. You know, you are who you are. Right. And you are a part of that environment. And it, so, 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 so he is 100% because mm-hmm. he has a mother that's teaching. And that's the key thing with today. Our mothers and our fathers and grandmothers and our ancestors need to begin to teach our history and our culture and our struggle and the things that we had to go through to get to their freedom of acceptance right. in white America. Right. And um, my God is like, 22, and I see, I get to see this other generation. And what I was seeing for a while was, you know, this is a generation that embraces black culture in a different way that, you know, those of us that came before them didn't. At the same mm-hmm. time, they don't, they don't want to be defined by being black. It's like, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, because they painted, they painted such an ugly picture of black. You know, I remember someone saying to me, Angelo, name me five th- name me five things that's black and it's positive. Right. And that was that was that was thirty years ago. Yeah. So so what was in my mindset that everything that was black was negative? Uh, you 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 think about black cats, and they said, nah, you know, don't walk in front of a black cat." You know, so you go on and on and on with those things that are black of color. Right. Right. Yeah, it's so true. It's so. 
insane. Um, but one thing that put some of this in perspective prior to um, Black Panther for me, I read Trevor Noah's book, mm-hmm. which is an amazing read. He not only tells you about his life, mm-hmm. you understand apartheid and how he had to live it. And yes. in the beginning of the book, he explains that South African whites went around the world and studied enslavement everywhere, how everybody did it. Right. And they came back and they put together this horrific, horrific thing called apartheid. Mm-hmm. Now, what's so crazy about apartheid is, okay, they're black, which are dark-skinned. African, right? Right. There are colored who are mixed, which means they're a step for them. You're a step above the others. Then you have white. But in between there is a weird a weird grade. Now, Indian people, people from India were black <laughs> or colored. They could be black or colored. Mm-hmm. Chinese could be black or colored, but Japanese could be white. And I was like, why is that? Because they felt that the Japanese were more effective. Oh, like, this is so crazy. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is so crazy. Mm-hmm. No, it is very crazy. It's totally, totally insane. But, wow. Isn't it good to feel freedom at the stage of the game, to have oh God, some kind yeah. of identification to our culture and having yeah. our young kids to have an appreciation to the struggle of the culture and so mm-hmm. that they can appreciate it and move forward with developing for a better life? Yeah. And, and not get caught up in this Trump disaster of living oh, in America to know the oh, difference in right and wrong? Yeah, I know. That's the it freedom of it all. Yeah. And you see, you know, our kids wanting to, like, the the character story who was all about technology and she was young and she was brilliant and she was running things. I'm like, do you know how that's going to affect the future? That's going to be, you're going to have kids wanting to be scientists and engineers and, you know, computer geniuses because they see it. It's been, it's been imagined for them right. in a way that they can be proud of it and be excited about it. Right. So this on so many levels just, you know. It's wonderful. I'm going to go mm-hmm. see it again today. You are, I'm going to see it again, too. Not today, but I'm going to see it again, too. I'm going to take some kids in my church. I think it's about 25 kids that come to Sunday school. Wow. And I'm going to uh, take them all to, to see it because I think they all deserve to see it. Oh, that's wonderful, Angelo. That's so I think they great. deserve to see it. Yeah, Absolutely. And it made me feel like a kid again. I was like, yay! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it, it's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really wonderful. And I, I, I'm so glad that you and the whole Cocoa Express is identifying with this and sharing this 
with your listening audience. The great thing that I love about what you guys do, you're so into the community. You're into the kids. You're into teaching them diction and mannerisms and all the things that's going to make them strong and make them explosive and make them super people. And I, and, yeah. and I, can't, I can't stop applauding you guys for oh, keep going you. back into the community and giving back and teaching and educating and stimulating and motivating these young kids to say that they can be whomever they want to be. So I applaud right. you guys on that. Please oh, continue. Thank oh, thanks, thanks, thank you so much. But, you know, if you don't, because when we were kids in our community, mm-hmm. there was this woman named Miss McDonald. And Miss mm-hmm. McDonald, she was like our social coordinator for the for the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I was I was in the Girl Scouts. Yes. Because of Miss McDonald, and I learned how to salsa dance because that's how we got our badge, our dance mm-hmm. badge. Yes. The other kids were square dancers. We were doing salsa dance. Fabulous. <laughs> Which has served me to the day because mm-hmm. I could dance. <laughs> fabulous. That's <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> I mean, that's she, when we go to impress our children, right? When they were young. Yeah. That's right. And we teach them survival skills because they need these skills to go through life. That's right. So you had a very astute uh, family or mother and father that wanted to provide with you the best way of living life, to be prepared to live in America. Mm Mm-hmm. And have a culture and have an appreciation for culture and dance and the fine arts and the performing arts and all these things make us people, make us really strong people. Yes. And it makes you appreciate not just yourself but others. You know, if you can't appreciate yourself and who you are, you can't give that to anyone else. No, no, you can't. You really, really, really can't. And you can't put that in somebody else's hands. You have to really teach your children from the beginning of, of its time, of its existence, the importance of survival in white America. Right, because you have to. You have to, you know, negotiate. It's always a negotiation. No, it is. It it, it totally 100% is. And it's Mm -hmm. really, yeah, please don't ever stop doing what you're doing uh, because it's so important that there is a vehicle that people can, young people can listen to. And I applaud such the efforts of uh, of, of what you guys do, of really it does with these kids and wanted to take them in and teach them Mm -hmm. how to dress and how to put on makeup and how to speak. These are the things in this lost time with our young African-American parents not doing it. They're falling prey to not teaching their children or providing for the children the survival skills that are important for them. I was saying earlier. And there you guys go doing it, and it's wonderful. Oh, thanks. You don't know what you don't know, and you can't do what you don't know how to do. That's very true. So we're looking at parents who don't know. Don't know no, well, exactly, because babies are having babies. Right. And so somebody else has got to come in and say, guess what? You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, offense. Yeah. Don't get mad. <laughs> but this is how you do this. And No, I agree. One thing that is so important is the confidence it gives you. Because mm-hmm. you can have all these tools or some tools, but if you're not confident about it, if no one has praised you and said, that was awesome, Sure. Keep doing that. Then sure. you don't feel confident enough to, to step out and say, I know what I'm doing. No, I'm with you on it. I'm totally with you on mm-hmm. it. I enjoyed so, my time coming down there working with those young ladies because it was really special. Very special. And they loved 
and they loved you. Trust me. Oh, thank did. you so much. <laughs> it, it was rewarding because they were really into getting to know who they were. And I, I think I started out with being honest of who you were. And they were just coming aboard after you gave them examples. And all it takes is one to say, this is what my problem was, or this is why I didn't get this good grade. And then the other one would speak, and the other one would speak. Then they would tell you about mothers and fathers and home lives and the whole of the bit there. And mm-hmm. then there's a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody just wants to be loved and cared uh-huh. for and guided. Right. And that's what I think is so phenomenal about what you guys do. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, really, I think it's just incredible about what you guys do for the community, and I think that it should be adopted in every urban community across this country because our young kids need this type of guidance. They need mm-hmm. this love, that care, the tenderness, the supervision. And, and, and giving them the, the, the survival tools. Right. And I that's what's story, not happening. I have a story about my mother. I don't know if my sister knows the story, but when our great aunt passed away, we were, you know, cleaning out things. And I found these two report cards. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, report cards. Whose report cards are these? And I looked at I looked at the grades on one. And I was like, oh, this was a really smart kid. And I looked at the grades on the other one. And I was like, Wow. So one was a very confident, bright. It was, it was, it was good to see. The other one looked like depression. So I was like, hmm. I was like, Mom, look, I, I found your report card. She said, Girl, put those things away. Throw them away. And I was like, Oh, there's a story. Well, I did not throw them away. So I went over to the house and just, you know, not right away to ask, but I gave her a little breathing room. I said, Mom, what is the story with the two report cards? And she said, huh, do we have to? I was like, yeah, I want to know. So when she was a little girl, about eight years old, she had a teacher, a lady teacher. And this lady teacher, uh, and they had just one schoolroom. There was not, like, grades or classes. It was a big room, and all the kids were there, little to big. And she took an interest in my mother because my mother was curious and loved to learn and was excited about it. And she really... um, praised her and and congratulated her for being so smart. And mm-hmm. that's what this report card reflected. Somebody who loved, cared for her and and made her feel great about mm-hmm. herself. So this teacher had to leave. And they got another teacher. Mm-hmm. A man teacher. But you know, the sexes of each teacher is not the issue. Here was someone who should not have been a teacher number one. Mm-hmm. Who didn't know a lot, but was like, just do what I say, kind of mm-hmm. a person. Mm-hmm. And before the teacher left, she sat down with my mother and she told her, you're smart. Don't let anybody tell you you're not smart. Don't let anybody take that from you. And you just keep doing what you're doing because you're an amazing person. So this teacher is is trying to teach them, and my mother is saying that's not right. And correcting the teacher. So back in the South, kids didn't do this. You didn't correct adults. That's not what you did. Mm -hmm. But someone had told her she was smart and don't let anyone take that from you. Yes. So he kept doing it. And, like, the other kids were starting to catch on that he didn't know. He didn't know anything. Right. So the one time I guess he was angry and frustrated at who knows what, 
but it came out, you know, it was directed at her. He said, I'm right. And she's like, no, but that's not right. The other teacher said, goes, I am right, and you better say I'm right. And she said, oh, yeah. But, but, and you know what he did? He took out a belt, a switch, I can't remember which one it was, and beat her in front of the class. And beat her and beat her. And one of the older boys stood up and said, if you hit her one more time, I'm going to hit you. And I was like, what? And so they had to carry her home because the beating was so severe. And when she got home, now, you know, back then, it's usually the kid did something. Sure. So she, my my grandma's like, what are you doing home? You should be at school. And before she could get the words out of her mouth, um, she said, I had to come home. She says, you shouldn't be home. What did you do? And she got a spanking. But then when she saw my mother's, her back, it was bleeding. There were cuts from this beating. And she laid in bed for a month because it didn't heal. She couldn't move. And when we talk about, you know, someone caring for our kids, you know, and this, these are the two report cards. You have someone who cares for you, who who is excited about you being excited about learning, and and they want to help you. Then you have someone who is just this ignorant person. Well, you have to think about think about what the president just said. He said yeah. that the school teachers should all have guns. Oh, wow. Right. Could you okay. could you imagine in this day and time, if you say something wrong to the teacher, they can shoot your child? That's right. Or so if, by example, as what happened 40 or 50 years ago with your mother, is the uh-huh. prime example of what happens today. That's right. You go, wow, that old backwards thinking is still alive and still yeah. Oh, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. That's the parallel to it all. Mm-hmm. You know, if the teachers can be teachers and really teach our children, right? And, and it, let them teach our children. This is not yesteryear. This is this year, right? We can't go to the customs of yesteryear. We must go to the customs of this year. These kids got their own minds. They know the difference mm-hmm. in right and wrong. They oh, know. Yeah. They know the difference in right and wrong because their mothers and fathers have taught them the difference in right and wrong. So you can't do that to them. No. No. They're going to they're going to express themselves and they're going to let you know if you're right or if you're wrong. And the they only thing to the fire. Yes. Okay. Okay, we're on okay. the same page. Yeah. We're totally on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like don't mess with these kids. They will tear you up and, and oh, yeah. show you the receipt. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they can look through you and tell you how authentically or how authentic you are. Mhm. And they can friend. tell you who's the fake. That's right. I have a friend. She was she is she was my junior high school middle mm-hmm. and we have stayed in touch and we we have become very good friends. And she became a guidance counselor and um I used to say the two most Beautiful women I knew were my mother and her. Mm-hmm. And um, she was quite the militant. She had a little afro. And um, she was, she, and she's still very outspoken. And she would talk about kids who would get in trouble because they could, they could see through the BS. Mm-hmm. They couldn't stomach it. 
Yes. And they they just wouldn't go for it. And they would always call her down to the office to say, please talk to Mary because she's doing that thing again. And she's like, what thing? You know. And what they meant was she was not taking the crap. <laughs> she was not buying it. Mm-hmm. And, she, and this kid, she would say, this kid know, knows who she is, and she knows the difference between right and wrong. And she would go in there and she would say, Mary, and she would go, Miss Simmons, but she was, I know, honey. <laughs> We're just going to sit here and talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. There is a right and there is a wrong. Mm-hmm. And and not because I'm 40 and, you, and you're 13. Right. It doesn't make my right a right because right. of the age differences. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just what it is. That's totally, totally what it is. You know, it's it's um you know that I, I not to change the course of the conversation, but I've been yeah. working with Matthew Knowles for some time and so mm-hmm. he had an emergency. He has this incredible, incredible book out now. It's called Racism Through the Eyes of a Child and yeah, it is the most incredible it, yeah. book. It's the most incredible book. We're gonna have him on to, to the show next week. Uh mm-hmm. the book is so incredible and it shines such a positive light on well, and you know what it is? It's a thought provoking book. Okay. It makes you think about your who, okay. your what, your wins, your where's, your why's. Mm. You know, and That's people great. should really go until Mr. Knowles comes on the air next week. Go to uh-huh. MatthewKnowles.com. If they go to MatthewKnowles.com, they'll get a clear uh, understanding of this book. There's excerpts from the book. There are comments on the book. You can purchase the book through MatthewKnowles.com. But mm-hmm. the book is fantastic. It's have- so thought-provoking. I had the opportunity to read some of the material that you sent, mm-hmm. and um, and it it was it was also interesting, and I was really looking forward to um, talking to him because mm-hmm. you know it, it's autobiographical. Yes, it seems like it was for him cathartic and yes, healing. it was very much. And there's some ideas that are controversial in the book. We'll, um, have him, we'll we will have him back on next week. Okay. We will have him back on next week. Yeah. Um, He texted me while I was on with you, so we'll have him back Mm -hmm. on next week. But I'm telling you guys, if if to your listeners, just go to MatthewKnowles.com, read the episodes from the book. Um, You would be stunned stunned by the the things that he had to endure during his time, and Mm -hmm. you'll have an appreciation of his plight to date. Mm. Um, because he, what he had to go through in order to get right. to where he needed to get to, it's, a, it's, I think it's a phenomenal story. That's great. I, I, you know, we look, we were looking forward to, you know, having him on today. And um, when you tell, when someone tells their story, especially the idea of from the eyes of a child, because we've all been children, sure. and we've all had adults pour things into us, some good, some bad. And right. we've had to go on and live our life through this lens. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, it's not your fault. No, it's not it's your not. fault. It's not. And you do the best you can with what you got until you can do better. But along the way, we make a lot of stumbles and falls and decisions and and, and things that get us to this place where we can look back and say, wow, you know what? I don't need that, 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 and that. 
That's exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And it's that that gives us that the maturity. It shows yeah. our growth. It shows our growth of when I was mm-hmm. five, it made that decision. But when I was ten, I made this decision because right. it shows the level of growth. And you evolve as a human being, and that's what I don't think. You know, some of these ideas and ways of thinking are. While we're speaking, Mr. Knowles wants to know if he, if he can call back in. Oh, you have to ask our producer, Aurelia. Oh, okay. I mean, he just texts me, wants to know if he can call back in. Okay. Aurelia. Producer, are you there, producer? Oh. Yeah, I'm yes, here. Um, Yes. My question to you is, because the circuits are still busy, he can call through you and you can just have him join you. Yeah. But better yet, why why don't you give me your number and then you can do and and then I'll come to call you. Okay, he can call me. Uh, um, that's the thing. I'm dialing out. That's how I was able to get you. I've been dialing people direct, and I'm able to do it that way. Why don't you guys go off chat, take care of that, and come back? Sounds okay. great. Alil, call me back. No. Uh, oh, did I do wrong? Going to be on with us, but. Yeah, in the meantime, we had some real good discussion. Oh, my first day back, and I'm working way too hard. <laughs> no, it's good. I like to talk. Anyway, so, um, yeah. Um, Black Panther, I keep going back to Black Panther because, you know, it's just a fun thing to go back to, and it's got, got so many layers, and it it um, it's just so conversation producing and everybody, I love hearing, you know, people's ideas and what they thought and how they felt about what they experienced um, in that film. And I can't wait. I want to go back to Wakanda and for the sequel. But at the same time, I'm nervous for the sequel because, you know, when something's this great, a whole bunch of people who don't need to be in this movie are going to want to be in this movie. And I don't want it tainted, you know. I want, I, you know, I want the next chapter of Wakanda, and I, and I, you know, these are brilliant people, and I know, I'm sure they know what they're doing. But then, you know, you think of other sequels that didn't go well, and you're like, dang it, <laughs> why didn't they just leave it alone? Why is this one in there? Why is that one in there? And um, so, yeah, I want to see. I would love to see what they envision for the next chapter of this saga. Gosh. So, um, and and one of the great things that, you know, was kind of throughout the book and people's different ideas of how to go into the community and make things better. You know, Killmonger was all about war and let's, let's just the people who beat us. And, you know, he was trained to do this. So he didn't know any other way, you know. But at the same time, he wanted to rescue, you know, the people he had left behind. And T'Challa the king was like, you know, I don't know. We've been fine. We got a whole bunch of people coming in here. (laughs) But at the same time, meeting uh, Killmonger, he understood the ramifications of being left behind. Mr. Knowles is on. Mr. Knowles, hello. 
Hi, Valencia. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Long time no speak. <laughs> it's a, I know, I know. Way too long. Well, I'm here in Houston today. I'm actually in my office. I'm sorry for the echo in my office. Oh, no problem. No problem. So, look, we have been, you know, talking about a whole bunch of crazy stuff, but not crazy stuff, but fun stuff. Um, but we're going to get to the reason you're on the air right now. You've got this new book, Racism from the Eyes of a Child, and in it, it's autobiographical, right? Well, it is. I wanted to tell my story, Veronica. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to, and it took a lot of research. I learned things about my grandparents and my great-grandparents on both my nose and hog side mm-hmm. that I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I didn't know my grandmother um, had a set of brothers that were twins, uh, really? Gidney and Sydney. More, uh, which explains, which explains though the importance. Uh-huh. It explains why Beyonce has had twins because it's the DNA in our family. family. There you go. Wow. And and I and through this research, I I, I never knew all of this. But you mm-hmm. know, it's it's talking about me growing up in a little small town in Gaston, Alabama, mm-hmm. um, where my mother went to high school in Marion, Alabama, with Coretta King. Uh, that, mm. that city, uh, T.D. Jakes was from, from Marion, Alabama. Gene right. Young, Andrew Young's wife is from Marion. Right. They only had like 2,000 people and all of these highly educated people and smart people. But my mother took up the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, in Gaston uh, as a young kid, part of the civil rights movement in many ways. And the book talks about it. Uh, I never went to a black school, and I'm 66. Went to a Catholic mm-hmm. elementary, went to a mm-hmm. white junior high, went to a white Gaston high, the same high school that Judge Moore, who ran for the Senate recently, went mm-hmm. to high school there, uh, went to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. So it talks about all of that. Wonderful. And I, I, this must have been very cathartic for you to really learn um, who, who your people were, where you come from, Maybe where you even get some of your traits from. No, not maybe. No, it, 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 my family and forefathers were entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, and that was their spirit, the spirit of entrepreneurship. And they mm-hmm. were very successful people, uh, very successful, and fought outside of the box. Uh, and, and I certainly believe that certainly that DNA uh, is part of my success. That DNA, I think, is part of my kids' success. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, cause, and it's just being passed on from generation to generation, which is really beautiful. Um, and especially since you've gone back and you're like, okay, this is who we are. This is what we do. And I wanted to share all the elements of racism that I went through uh, growing yeah. up, being one of the first uh, or the only. Uh, and I chronicalize that even to today. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, today, racism still exists in America. I'm still impacted by it. I'm, I, I've had experiences uh, as recent, you know, in my book as a year ago, less than a year ago. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it was to, the purpose of this book is to begin dialogue, dialogue right. about racism, uh, to begin dialogue about colorism, uh, mm-hmm. to begin dialogue about it. 
And I think that was one of the interesting things that I, I read in the material that I had is um, talking about colorism. Child, you know, this idea of colorism was kind of poured into you. And as a child, you don't have choices, like knowing what's, what's right or what's wrong. And based on some of the things, not just you, but all of us, you know, have learned, have made us make choices. In our lives. And some and some of those choices go back as far as slavery, and it was passed on generation to generations. And, and this is not just a, a U.S. America issue. This is a world colorism is a world and racism is a worldwide issue. You know, many women <laughs> in Nigeria bleach their skin so they can be lighter color. And this is so you know, and it's it's actually pretty sad and I I know I've experienced it growing up too you know like some I didn't really take it as like oh I feel bad about myself but boys are like I don't I don't go out with light skinned girls I'm like good cuz I don't like you, <laughs> you yeah know? well the the, the, the thing that's important that we should all know is that being black is a beautiful thing and we have beautiful brothers and sisters from all shades of black. So, you know, this book is not to make someone that's of a lighter color or of a darker color to feel bad about themselves. It's to empower them, but to Mm -hmm. also to understand, you know, that colorism is not just within the black community. Colorism is, is, when I think about the shades of color, it goes all the way to white. It, It passes light complexion. It's like, white people have colorism that they look at different black people and look in Mexico or Europe mm-hmm. or India, you know, the darker skinned people, um, you know, have always had the lower statue and the lower social statues where the, the lighter complexion and white has always been related to money, power and control. Right. And it's been used as a tool, a tool of separation, a tool of making one group feel more superior to another. And that's how um, we don't get together. We don't come together to find our solution. And and, it, and it's working for someone else. It's not working for us. It's working against us, especially as black people. Like you said, we come in a various arrays of shades. but it's, Various it's, hues of color, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this has been a tool to separate us. And like you said, it is so general. It goes back so far. It's it's just horrible. Well, again, racism in the eyes of a child is to hopefully have people engage in dialogue. Uh, but mm-hmm. I talk about also racism because mm-hmm. ra- racism, the thing that challenges me, and I want to challenge all black folks. You know, when we get together in a, a, a group of people, regardless if it's three or four people or 10 or 11, typically we always end up talking about racism. Mm-hmm. If we're really honest about it, we that's our number one topic. Right. And I'm saying, I'm saying to, to everyone, every black person, regardless of their shade of color, we're all the same. And I'm saying that let's stop talking about it and let's have action. Let's do what Alabama did in the last election when 98% of all black females, 98% of all black females registered to vote, voted. That was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment for Alabama. 
I was very proud. I was very, mm-hmm. very proud. And and even to our young people, we're seeing an example uh, of that the horrific uh, killings of the high school there in Florida. But those young kids are taking action. They're Absolutely. not talking. They're taking action. And that's what we've got to learn to do is to take action. And I, I think this is a wonderful idea for you to challenge us to stop being in that mode of talking. And I think, well, you, you know, know, you know, my first book, uh, The DNA of Achievers, The Ten Traits mm-hmm. of Highly Successful Professionals, one of the traits I coined something called talk-to-do ratio. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to increase our talk-to-do ratio and not just talk, but as you say, do. That ratio has to be higher. Right. And um, I, I'm sorry, I'm like a little tongue-tied right now. <laughs> trying to get That's okay. I'll, I'll talk for you. I'll talk for you because I get excited when I, I talk about this book. Um, you know, I get very, very excited and uh uh, I'm very, very grateful that I have the opportunity. You know, I teach at Texas Southern University. Uh, this is my eighth year. I'm, I'm not in the classroom this semester, but we introduced the Matthew Knowles Institute for mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship, Entertainment, and Music uh, Business online there at TSU. I'll be hopefully back in the classroom next semester. But, you know, this is what I do. I, I'm a, uh, in yeah. academia today. And, and I challenge my my students to have critical thinking. Right. And that's the number one thing that I teach is critical thinking. In your healing process, um, which I thought was so important for people, especially people of color, to not be afraid of the healing process. And that's going to counseling and seeking outside help. Um, and I thought that was really brave of you and important for you to acknowledge that you know what I, I I needed to heal and I got that healing because we seem and, to have and, and it was important to me to also to to black men uh, to know because we have this tendency to think that therapy and and that's like makes a sign of weakness but actually it's a mm-hmm. sign of strength it's just Absolutely. the opposite. Yeah. When someone says, I need help, that's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Being who you are and, you know, in academia and you're standing in the community and your profession, I think it is important that you are that example that says, look, healing is just looking at those broken pieces and trying to put it back together again. It's not saying that you're less of anything, but it makes you more by, do, you know, getting your help that you need and making your life better, which makes other people's lives better. You're absolutely so, right. I commend you for that. Thank you. That's a gift. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to be vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. and there's an old saying that in my vulnerability lies my safety. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I again, I just wanted to, to to send a message to my brothers and sisters that you know therapy is a good thing. It saved my life. I mean, I I, yeah. I truly believe 
because there's a lot of trauma as a kid being beaten, being mm-hmm. spit on, being electric prodded. But can you imagine what? almost <laughs> every day people are making you feel like you're less than? Yes, uh, yes I can. Um, there is this Japanese philosophy which I, I came across, and I think it applies here. Um, in Japan, when you break something, you don't throw it away. You take that bowl or whatever you broke and you mend it with gold. And in mending it with gold, it turns into something more valuable now than when you broke it. And so applying that to humans in those places where you feel broken, like that therapy and those issues, um, when you help yourself, when you heal yourself, those are it's gold, and your scars become the most valuable thing you have because you've overcome. So that's absolutely right. You know, I have uh, I have three, four guests uh, in my book because I've, that's become like my my signature when I write books. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not always just me talking. I like to have other people. Uh, talk about their experiences. And, and one is uh, uh, Dr. Oscar Underwood, uh, who uh, owns a uh, black college, Cornerstone Christian and Bible College, where I got my MBA and PhD. And he mm-hmm. says, uh, in my book, it's like you're looking at this quilt and you see something that takes your breath away as far as its beauty and aesthetic qualities, yet at the same time, Another piece you see as something that is ugly and out of place. You wonder, how can the two be in the same fabric? Mm. Yeah, and that's kind of how life is. There's the pretty and the ugly. There's the good and the bad, but they all exist in each one of us. It's just how are we going to use, you know, what choice are we going to make? And so um been developing. Um, it's consistent. It's like you continue to choose betterment, you know, lifting, lifting us up through your written words, your institutes, but helping people visualize better. Well, it's important for us all to know that in life uh, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have failures. That's really part of life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and But – the mistakes and failures that we make in life are opportunities to grow. And most of us have to understand it's an opportunity to grow. How are you going to fall on the canvas and how are you going to pick yourself up off of the canvas? Um, and, and that's the opportunity to grow and not a reason to quit when you make a mistake. Most people want to quit and give mm-hmm. up. It's, it's, it's a learning experience. Take it. Uh, see the opportunity with inside of the mistake and failure, and then grow from it. I, I have a, I have a question. It might be a little off topic, but I think it still relates. Um, like in in the music business now, especially in in the hip hop area, the rap area, um, there there are artists who are you know doing great things, um, but then there are other artists who the pendulum swings so the other direction. And I know, as you say, we all have to evolve and grow, but 
it just feels like they're snuffing out the light before it can actually, you know, grow itself. Can you share well, any Well, it, 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 it does tie in because, you know, we have a lot of, most people don't know there's only a 1% success rate in, in the music industry, 1%. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, 1% of all the artists are going to be successful. And our definition of success is to make a profit. Uh, there's right. a lot of what I call Jedi mind trick. Uh, that mm-hmm. you know, and with social media, Jedi mind trick, and that you think, especially younger people, are are confused and they think these people are successful when in fact they're not. Uh, right. Let's start. Let's start there. Uh, the mm-hmm. other thing is 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 something that is called when we look at artists that are successful. It's called leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question is, are you the leader of your ship? Right, yeah. And who do you have on your ship? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the things that I want listeners to, to think about when they see artists or themselves is who's the leader of the ship, which is leadership. Right. Who's at the helm. And I think one other thing that they don't realize is that that 1%, they work like dogs. <laughs> they work so hard. Well, there's a reason why they work so hard. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that they work so hard is because they're so passionate about what they do. They're passionate Mm -hmm. about practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. They're passionate about their imaging. They're passionate about their performances. They're passionate about their fans and their fan base. And, And passion, work ethics coexist mm-hmm. with each other. You can't have one without the other. They come together. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, like it's, it is that Jedi mind trick, too, on the other end of the scale. Like, they make it look easy. But if you knew how much work it goes into that accomplishment, they deserve all the success they have, <laughs> basically. Well, I mean, when you look at that that 1% of the 1%, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these these artists might work, might practice every day for two months to do a three-minute performance on the Grammys. Mm-hmm. And people don't see that. No. Uh, and and it also requires it. a team, you know, right. that is not just the artist. It's just the sound man, the light person, the manager, the band, the background singers, the production. I mean, it's a lot of moving parts for success. So you have to have a team of people, uh, and it starts for artists with their manager. Right, absolutely. And and having that vision, I think having a vision for something and a plan and sticking to it, you know, you, you have to deviate from plans from time to time. But, but the vision, I think, is what's so important. You know, the one you have for yourself and the one team you have that you are all on board with your success. Well, you, you're 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 quoting the ten traits. I love that from uh, the <laughs> DNA of from the DNA of achievers. Uh-huh. Uh, the the only thing I would slightly change is mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about having uh, a a plan, it has to be a strategic plan. Mm-hmm. 
So, so that's a difference with having strategy yeah. that that uh, is very strategic. Your moves, hey, you know. And um, that's something I was li- the game. That's not the game. Li- I was, was listening. Oh, I'm sorry. I was listening the other watching actually, uh, Blackish, and oh, I, I always I always try to take something away from from when I hear something that's just powerful. Mm-hmm. And so the the, the 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 two youngest kids, the young girl and the young man, I can't think of their names, mm-hmm. but they had been practicing this dance move because they were going to all white school, and you know mm-hmm. there was these little white kids that were, when they did something, everybody acknowledged it. So so they practiced on this dance move, and then these and went and did it at the school, and the kids said nothing, and then these little two white boys with they were twins had on these cool hats and was dressed and everybody the teacher acknowledged them and Mm -hmm. then the young lady the young girl said something profound she said we were playing checkers while they were playing chess (laughs) i see you got another game get it yeah (laughs) you get it and sometimes we're playing checkers and we're not playing chess yeah, it's like we ain't playing the same game. So right. When you want to come over here and play with us, you can <laughs> learn the right. game. And and I think I don't want to get off topic, but you're so interesting. Um, there's one person at the moment who I think fits in that category, and I hate to say it, and it's Monique, the comedian. Uh huh. Yeah, I know Mo- Monique. I feel like, but- and I, I feel like. She, I'm not saying that what she wants is not achievable, but at some place, the game is. I don't know if she un, not understands the rules of the game, but strategy. What what is her strategy? Well, I I I I, I can't speak on on that part. I just know Monique from years back. Uh, I think she's an incredible comedian and person mm-hmm. uh but you know i haven't kept up with it over the last years i i can only say positive things about her so i really don't oh. know not that i want you to say anything negative about her or but you know she's in this um and it's a tricky situation when you are trying to lift you know because everybody wants to be lifted you know and compensated um and sometimes that strategy like you know what, I'm going to do this right now, but it's going to get me to that. Not that you're compromising, but your strategy is to be where you want to be. But it might take a few extra steps. Well, let's just call life. That's happened for me. Uh, mm-hmm. That's happened for a lot of my artists. Is sometimes uh, you, you have to take steps, and uh, that's just part of life. Yeah, I guess that's all it is. One thing um, I want to say um, is talk about is telling or telling our stories. It's it's a black tradition. It's what the griots did. Um, they kept the stories alive. They kept the traditions alive through telling their stories. And I feel like um, racism from the eyes of a child really falls into that. You know, tradition. All you know, all our stories are important, but um, you have decided to, to tell your story and to 
not just tell your story, but to to point out issues in society that were prevalent at the time that are, that have continued and are still prevalent today. And as you tell your story, um, I'm hoping and I'm sure that, you know, not just young people, but all of us will look at our story and see where we could change that narrative today, um, hold on to some things that are important today that you don't want to let go of, and be able to impart your wisdom. And I think that's what, you know, you've done is impart your wisdom, not only through your stories, but some of the other people who, you know, you've chosen to um, be part of, you know, this book. So, well, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I, I talk about is that one aspect of racism is just what you're saying, is for us not to know our history, not to know our heritage, uh, mm-hmm. because racism feels that if I can keep you from not knowing, then I can keep you from having knowledge. And if I right. can keep you from having knowledge, I can keep you from having power. So racism wants to erase all of our mm-hmm. history. Just right. look at what's happening to Obama now. Oh, you know, our new president wants to erase everything that Obama has done. Yeah. Everything. And I talk about that in the book. It's like that's racism when you want to erase a culture's history. Right. Absolutely. Criminal. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I think it's a criminal thing to do, um, to erase someone's existence. But for those of us who witnessed it, you can't erase it. You know, it happened. Right. Barack right. Obama happened. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. But Absolutely. again, we we I hope as that we learn our lessons all, um, and and that is we have to exercise our right to vote. Uh, just like those those women in Alabama, those those mm-hmm. black women in Alabama prove what happens when you exercise your right to vote. We, we, we have a voice. We have to use it. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of people complaining about our current president, yet they didn't go vote. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Or they voted for something that – I have a voting story. On the way to vote, an older black man, he asked me, was I going to go vote? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go vote. He said, well, you better, you better vote for Trump. I was like, what? <laughs> I better vote for Trump. He's like, yeah, he's going to get rid of all those Puerto Ricans. And I was like, this man has no <laughs> idea what he's voting for. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I have, a voting, I have a voting story this past election, and, you know, typically I uh, do early election. And, you know, early election is great because you don't have to wait in lines as much, and you can go to right. any place any place early voting. So I didn't. I, I ended up voting on, on the day of voting and uh-huh. went where I typically would go for early voting and found out that wasn't the precinct. I I, I was registered in another precinct, which mm-hmm. was way on the other side of town. There was a lot of traffic, but it was that important to me. It was that yeah. important to me. You know, I could have said, oh, I'll just blow it off. But it was that important to me to go in an hour of traffic so I could go and exercise my right because I watched 
and live colored and white water fountains and bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I lived where we couldn't go to a restaurant and again getting beaten and spit on. So to me, to exercise the right to vote is very important because people gave their lives, Absolutely. gave their lives so that we could exercise this right. And have that voice and say, I'm here. We're here. Well, well, you have to ask yourself, when you mm-hmm. look at America, black folks, we represent 13% of the population in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yet, yet 35% of our brothers mainly, our black brothers, some sisters, are in prison. I know. When we represent 13% population, but we work, represent 35% of black folks in prison in America. Right. Right. Something's wrong with that picture. Absolutely. It's like where are who could potentially be our best and brightest in prison. And some of them for menial menial issues. Some of them for bad, yeah. But good grief. Well, it's also, I, I think, the judicial system. Again, uh, you know, it's very important when we vote to exercise and look at who's the judges uh, right. on the ballots because that's very important. I mean, sometimes these these it's just about the fact that they're black. Let, right. that's, that's, again, racism. It's, it's just they don't have a good attorney that didn't have the money to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they have poor representation. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you ask yourself, you can have two rocks of crack and go to prison for life, but yet you could have all this cocaine, white crime, and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, slap on the hand. You know? Right. You have to, we have to question why does that exist, and we have to have a voice and start speaking out. Again, I love what those kids in Florida are doing. I hope it's uh, everybody's watching that these kids said we're going to have a voice and they said if you don't if you vote for the uh, ability to have a gun uh, at 18 then we get we promise you you're not going to win the election right and they challenged you know Rubio they like can you say you will not take any more NRA money he couldn't say it he could not yeah. say it for the him. I was like, okay, you came to bully this kid and shut him down. I think it went the opposite way. <laughs> yeah. I have, well, I have a daughter who's I, in that age range, and they are outspoken. They know what they like. They know what they don't like, and they'll let you know. And that's the I, I love that about millenniums, you know. And mm-hmm. you know they 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 can speak their voice because they understand technology as well, which uh, you know. You know, I I see this all day long because I'm in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, these kids, the only challenge though is our black young people have to be just as forceful in exercising the right to vote and and exercising the right to express our concerns. Yeah, and to let you know, you don't get a free pass just because you had the job the last time. Exactly. You have to work for it. <laughs> you have to do something that says I belong here and I'm going to do my best. They're not doing that right now, our politicians. I, you know, I can't speak for all, but, you know, the ones we're talking about. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
<laughs> it is a very interesting time we're in. It's a very scary time. It's a very challenging time. But um, I think there's a, there feels like, at least to me, there feels like there is a shift. And I think Barack Obama was was the foreshadowing of that shift. You know, he did something that nobody thought he could do twice. <laughs> well, he's a he's a a really really good man, smart man, mm-hmm. um, fair man. Uh, when you look at his cabinet, uh, the education level versus the education level, the current cabinet, mm-hmm. uh, President Obama's yeah. was much higher. His when you look at his cabinet, the number of women much higher percentage, uh, the mm-hmm. diversity much higher percentage, uh, experience level much higher percentage. Uh, he was a leader uh, versus the leader of his ship. He actually yeah. exercised leadership, uh, yeah. and, and so I'm very proud uh, uh, of what President Obama accomplished, and it's and it's real important to me. And, that, mm-hmm. and I guess because I'm just a southern country boy, um, I, I still my my mother-in-law is is uh, gosh she might be I think ten years older than me, but I mm-hmm. still call her call her Miss Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that, and it's important that we refer to President Obama as the president. Uh, Absolutely. I, I'm just, I'm just okay. old school. That he deserves right. that rather yes. than than the first name. That's that's President Obama, and I'm proud to say President Obama. Now I don't say that about the current our current oh, leadership. We can, I can barely <laughs> say his name. I'm like, eh, that yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah. Notice yeah. I haven't said it. <laughs> no, yeah. I know. That's hilarious. But you know, and you know, one thing I'm I'm proud of as well is if we hadn't had Barack Obama, if we had somebody who was mediocre, very okay. Because we had excellence, we know what mediocre and less than mediocre is. And That's I'm like absolutely right. Um he we he gave us excellence. And he and, and that's the thing that uh I used to laugh when I, I worked at Xerox for ten years and I was very, very fortunate to uh, get promoted as very, very young into the elite division of Xerox called the Xerox Medical Systems, where I sold uh, a product for breast cancer detection. Mm. Uh, and I was fortunate to be, like, in that division, a number one sales rep world, worldwide, three wow. out of four years. Three out of four years. So I used to tell them, uh, the, the, some of the sales reps uh, that sold copiers, and they would be like, well, why is it you can come to office in blue jeans and and we have to wear suits? And I was mm-hmm. like, when you, when you're the number one sales rep, you can you can do that. Right. I said I'm smart. I said when I'm what I'm smart enough to know is I'm the number two sales rep. They're gonna fire me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you my point is that. is that you gotta we have to have excellence mm-hmm. uh, because if we don't we don't get the second and third chances of our counterparts. Uh, yeah. And, and, and again, that's, that takes us back to uh, this thing called racism that we have to address. Uh, One thing, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I'm listening. 
one of the things that impresses me time and time again is that as a culture, we are, we are innovators. We are innovative. We are, we are creators. And I think that gets, you know, squashed, you know, because it's not probably in ways that people think of being creators. And then when we create something, we don't hold on to it. We move on. And that's especially prevalent in the music industry. We did jazz. Jazz still, we did blues. Blues is still, still exists, but we moved on. And white people took up jazz, I mean, blues. Jazz, there's still lots of black people doing jazz. But, you know, we, we, we keep pushing forward to do new things. And I think that's... Well, look, I'll tell you what, I, I predict to be the new thing in music. Well, it's, from a technology standpoint... You know, mm-hmm. I, I've I've seen the eight track that then became the cassette that then became the DVD, mm-hmm. CD, uh, compact disc that then became streaming. Right. Um, you know that the technology is keeps changing in our industry. I predict that there'll be a merger in the next three years where record labels would merge with social media companies that will yeah. merge with Apple and, you know, with the others. And, and there'll just be two or three companies that, and, and, and you pay a subscription every month and everything will be subscription-based. Social media won't be free, you know, mm-hmm. music won't be free. All of that will be a subscription base. That's that's what I predict will happen in the music industry. I, I think uh, record I think labels will become dinosaurs almost. You know, you, right. you you just you still have them, but you just won't have a need. Um, you know, Best Buy just announced that they're not selling CDs anymore. So, and Target mm-hmm. is looking to come right behind them. And then yeah. I predict that Target does, then Walmart will do the same. So you Absolutely. won't, you won't. It's, and so it's a different world that we're living in now today. Mm-hmm. And artists have to even more so. Uh, there's no artist development that comes from a record label. Artists have to do their own artist development. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, no, one of the reasons artists fail is they never had artist development. They never got a vocal coach. They never got anybody to train them on how to perform or how to work, hold a microphone correctly or that they're going to get feedback or, you know, mm-hmm. they have no one to ever tell them, hey, let's practice. Let's practice today while you're doing your normal rehearsal. At, at any point, I'm going to turn your mic off, uh, the sound off, and mm-hmm. I want you to be prepared. Let's practice, let's practice failure. Let's practice the yeah. mics are going to go off. What yeah. are you going to do when a mic? might go off. You gotta practice that. Uh, mm-hmm. and and my artists they they practice that. They practice the music gonna cut off in the middle of the song. Oh, a cappello, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have to think about it. We already know what yeah. we're gonna do. It's already built in. It's built into yeah. the act. <laughs> I think K pop has is doing you know, some of that merging they're merging their resources, the same kids that come in. It's almost like a school. You get into the, they sign you, you're fashioned, you're groomed, not only in one discipline, but every discipline you can fit in. So 
They have artists they can put in movies. They have artists they can put in groups. They can they have artists that are writers. Um, and like you said, that um, whole industry is strength, and you do have like one system. I, I think the African, the Afro, excuse me, the Afro beats and uh, that whole African musical culture. Uh, is going to be embedded in some of our sounds that we start hearing in America. And, and we're hearing it already. Um, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I predict I that's going to happen. Um, I, I, pre- I predict that's going to happen. Um, you know, we've always kind of like the music in Africa, we, we really in America didn't real, have never really appreciated it like we should. And I think you'll see a, a shift in that. Uh, Even dance. I mean, if you go or if you look on YouTube, you know, people from Africa at their wedding, they dance, and you see that in the kids on the street. Well, so. you know, I'll my next book, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but mm-hmm. you know, my my next book, uh, which composes uh, co-authors, I had a special class, research class, and so. My 10 students that were seniors at Texas Southern, they are co-authors of my next book, and I'm proud of that because they did a tremendous amount of of research. And it was important to me that they got the credit. And so Mm -hmm. the next – our next book, um, and I'm saying our because it's my students included, is The uh, Emancipation of Slavery Through Music. Ah. The Emancipation of Slavery Through Music. And we'll talk about – uh, most people don't know where instruments in America that we use today, the, the flute, the guitar, the harp, mm-hmm. the, the, the drums, uh, the, know where they come from. Nor right. do, they, do a lot of people understand when those slaves got on the boat, mm-hmm. it would be like a German, an Italian, a Greek. They, they were black, but they were from different tribes, so they could not mm-hmm. communicate. They couldn't communicate at all, and how they communicated was through music. They started beating on the walls, the whole other mm-hmm. ship, and pouncing on the floor with their feet and humming, and they mm-hmm. they finally could communicate. Similar to a slavery in America, it was through our songs that, you know, the, the white slave master would be out there with a shotgun, and these mm-hmm. slaves would be singing and humming, but they'll be telling a story on how to escape. Right, or could you? Is it not time, or is it is it time? <laughs> yeah, so so it's uh, look look forward to that. But you know, I'm gonna have to run to this next meeting. Um, well, but I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. It's always a pleasure, and you're always so. You gonna tell people where to get the book? Can I tell them? You tell them where to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because <laughs> I want I want your listeners to go out and support me, so you can go to Amazon or, or Kindle. Kindle uh, mm-hmm. again, that's racism from the eyes of the child. Or you can go to MatthewKnowles.com, MatthewKnowles.com, and order the book, and I'll sign the book, and then we'll ship it uh, to you. Uh, and so those are the three places where today you can go and get the book. So again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, And I and I ask people to go to my website, MatthewKnowles.com. They can find out about the Texas Southern Institute, Knowles Institute, uh, 
they can I'm on the board of Make a Wish Foundation, and uh, uh, they can see information on that and others. So again, thank you, and uh, have a great day. I will, and it's always good to have you here. All right, thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. So that was interesting. We covered a lot of terrain, and I think there's a little something for everybody. Um, please go out and buy the book. It sounds um, like it is chock full of great stories, information about healing. It talks about, you know, our experiences, which I'm sure um, his experience is unique to him, but we all have these shared experiences. And um, like the Me Too movement, you know, sometimes it's it's helpful to say, oh, Me Too, I'm not alone. And, um, excuse me, thank you for listening. It was great to be back. I had a lot of fun. And y'all be good. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. For more content, visit us at thecocoexpressshow.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Facebook. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.